Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Welcome to The Expressionists, the podcast that follows the idiom bees to find their origin honey. I'm Olivia Rosenman, and I'm sitting here with my good friend and co-host, Helen Wrightstrand. Hi there. And today, as ballots are arriving in mailboxes around the country and Australians are going postal for marriage equality, we are here to talk about why everyone should have the right to tie the knot. We're also going to have a little chat to two special guests, Reese Nicholson and Kyron Wheatley from the smash hit podcast that's all about the Australian marriage equality debate, Save the Date. And advise the Senate that in the last few minutes, the High Court has dismissed two sets of proceedings, one brought by Mr Andrew Wilkie and the other brought by Australian Marriage Equality and other parties designed to prevent the same-sex marriage postal survey from proceeding. The effect of the decision of the court is that there is now no legal impediment to that postal survey proceeding and all Australians having their say on this important social question. So, as of last week, Australia is now in the process of going postal with this survey on whether marriage laws should be changed to allow same-sex marriage. So, I figured it's time to talk about and think about what it really means to go postal. And what does it mean, Helen? So the Oxford English Dictionary has a definition for us. It's an American colloquial phrase, meaning to behave in a violent or frenzied manner, especially as a result of stress, and specifically to shoot one's colleagues, especially randomly. Wait, what? Yes. To shoot one's colleagues? <laughs> yeah, it means to shoot them. Uh, so frequently it's used in a weakened sense, though, which just means to get really angry or to fly into a rage. So it's, um, it has a, quite a specific origin, as you might be guessing. Can I guess? Yeah, please guess. Well, it must go back to a time when people actually used the postal system. Well, yes, that's a very good place to start, yep. So not in the past 15 years. Or, well, or it might be still be in, um, it could be the result of people starting to not use the postal system and people, postal workers becoming out of work. Uh, and shooting their colleagues. Yeah, and shooting their colleagues, which is the next logical step. Okay. Uh, that's Sorry, that's a, a red herring, actually. Um, <laughs> if I told you that a Simpsons episode from 1999 features a gag where Nelson asks Postmaster Bill, have you ever gone on a killing spree? And Postmaster Bill replies that the day of the gun-toting disgruntled postman went out with the Macarena. Hey, Macarena! Ah, <laughs> oh, the memories. <laughs> What would you guess as the rough origin of the phrase? The 90s? Yeah. The first recorded usage is late in 1993 in Florida's St. Petersburg Times, which, by the way, I find it reliably amusing, all of the names of, I mean, St. Petersburg in Florida. I recently drove from Toronto to New York and drove past Damascus. 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 Right. Right. Had to thunk it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a side note. 
So in the St. Petersburg Times, they're writing about an event that had been sponsored by the US Postal Service, uh, which, quote, had seen so many outbursts that in some circles, excessive stress is known as going postal. It's very self-consciously recording a, a previously verbal phrase, which has been floating around, I guess, for the past couple of years. So a lot of sources, including the Oxford English Dictionary, also reference Amy Heckling's brilliant 1995 movie Clueless as being responsible for making it the popular phrase that it is now. And so the Oxford English Dictionary includes this example with Cher talking on her mobile to bestie Dion. D? Sup? Did you get your report card? Yeah, I'm toast. How'd you do? I totally choked. My father is going to go ballistic on me. Mr. Hall was way harsh. What did she say, Uh, Olivia? So she didn't say going postal, Helen. Yeah. She said going ballistic. That's right. Uh, But that is not how the Oxford English Dictionary records that particular scene. Oh, are you saying that there's a mistake in the Oxford English Dictionary? Uh, Yep, they obviously didn't fact check. Wow. So, I mean, I'm going to have to rewatch the whole movie at some point to see where it is in the film, but I couldn't find it. I might have to join you for that. Yeah, we might have to do that. In the interest of research. That's right. But there are a lot of sources that I found online, including interviews with Heckling herself, talking about coining or rather including this phrase in the movie and having to explain it to the stars like Alicia Silverstone, etc. Obviously, there's an issue there. I'm I'm just gobsmacked. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I did notice that that little exchange was quite chock a block with idiom. Mm -hmm. Her friend was toast. Yep. She was going to choke. Yep. She totally uh, choked. Yeah. Um, but wow, I'm just, well done. I think we should write to the OED. I mean, yeah. Hmm. We'll have to tweet at them, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So if it didn't come from Clueless, then where did it come from? So the origin is, as you might expect, or as we've sort of hinted already, there was a series of famous shooting incidents in the US in post offices in the late 80s and the early 90s. I wasn't aware of that. Was that just because people were waiting in line for a really long time? No, no, it's not customers. It's postal workers. So the first notable one was the Edmond Post Office shooting in Oklahoma, which is on August 20, 1986. Uh, During a deadly rampage lasting about 15 minutes, Patrick Sherrill, who was an ex-Marine and an expert marksman, he was employed by the Postal Service in a relief delivery job, which meant that his work was less stable and reliable. And um, he went into the place that he worked at seven o'clock in the morning and started shooting, starting with one of the two supervisors who had reprimanded him the previous day. Um, And then he pursued and shot 20 co-workers, killing 14 of them. Oh, gosh. Um, And then he shot himself in the head. The other supervisor was lucky to have overslept that day and arrived an hour late and after everything had finished. Oh, dear. Yeah. And there were several more over the next 20 years in 1991, there were two, and then there were two on the same day in separate places in 1993, and then there was one each in 95, 97, and 2006. Dear me. Yeah, amazing. America. Uh, So this tends to be attributed to a toxic, authoritarian workplace environment in the U.S. Postal Service, Um, as in, for example, a 2009 book by a guy called Stephen Musacco, who has a PhD in organizational psychology and retired from the USPS in 2007 after working there for 35 years. I mean, I'm just I'm just very surprised because the postal service, it's such a wholesome post is so wholesome, right? Snail mail, getting a letter, delivering a letter, you know, the stereotype of your old, of your postie who you might have a chat to. Yeah. It's not all like that, it's, is it? No, it's not. I mm. mean, it's it's obviously full of very disgruntled people. 
Um, so there's some discussion about whether the rates of shootings are higher in postal service than in other industries. Apparently, actually, the highest rate of violent incidents in any industry is in retail, but that includes break-ins and hold-ups. Oh. So that's not people shooting their co-workers. I've heard anecdotally that some of the highest rates of depression are in chefs and dentists. Yeah, okay. Dentists because no one's ever happy to see you and chefs because you work in human hours? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and lawyers. I mean, there's lots of work is bad for you, I think is the um, the real nub here. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's America. but Crazy place. And yet they managed to legalize gay marriage without a personal survey. Hmm. Anyway, so the phrase and the historical events together have inspired quite a few bits of interesting cultural production. So there's a controversial video game series called Postal, uh, where the player has to be an insane mass murderer. Um, And it's gratuitously violent, apparently. In 1997, the USPS sued the creators of the game over the use of the term postal, which obviously (laughs) they felt was a bad press for them. Did they win? No, it was, <laughs> the case was dismissed in 2003. In 2004, a comic fantasy novelist Terry Pratchett published his 33rd Discworld novel titled Going Postal, in which a criminal is forced into taking on the role of postmaster in order to escape a death penalty for confidence tricks. And all thanks, perhaps, TBC, to the aforementioned masterpiece Clueless. I look forward to that piece of research, Helen. So for such a new phrase, it has considerable cultural traction. Yeah, but it doesn't have a long history, I suppose. Meanwhile, the history of the post itself is pretty interesting. Please, can I tell you about it? It's inherently political, which is relevant, I think. All right. All right. Thank you. Maybe obvious to others, but when you stop to think about the post, it is weird that a word that means like a chunk of wood stuck in the ground, like a fence post or a signpost or a lamp post, also means a system for messages and items getting sent around. Right? It is, that is a bit weird. It's yes. weird. Like one is very mobile and the other is not mobile. It's totally stationary mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. definition. Anyway, so the word post is borrowed from Middle French somewhere between the 13th and the 15th centuries, and it refers to a series of men on horseback responsible for transporting letters along a route. Uh, and also each of the intermediate horses and riders responsible. So each of them is a post. So basically they're posted at or stationed at certain points along a route. Mm-hmm. And initially when they first set that up, it was along a particular route because a monarch wanted to get a message to a certain place for a certain reason. So they were only for monarchs to send out their decrees and their kind of orders and all those sorts of things involved in being in charge of a kingdom. So at first they were only temporary and then eventually they became permanent, uh, certain routes of postal services where mm-hmm. a, a series of posts, the men, would be laid out. And from the 17th century, these guys started to be called postmasters and they eventually became the postmasters that run post offices now. Also, interestingly, post offices were attached to inns. So you could stop at a postal inn or posting house and get an ale uh, and a fresh horse and a meal or something or maybe a bed. And you might also pick up one or two cock and bull stories. Exactly right. Mm, exactly. Mm-hmm. But what about Mr. Marathon? Mr. Marathon? Who's that? The guy, Mr. Marathon, the guy who ran 42 miles to deliver a message from someone or other to someone else. 
Oh, okay. He's not his name's not actually Mr. Marathon. No, I know. I, I I did know that. I think I knew that. But um, yeah, he. I mean, couldn't wasn't he the first postman? I mean, maybe not the first, but yeah, that's a he. He was the um, a champion among postmen for sure. <laughs> he might sure. be like a postman god. Anyway, sorry, Helen. Carry on. <laughs> so the earliest appearance of the word post in English is in 1506, and then in 1533 we have a letter to Cromwell in the State Papers of Henry VIII, saying that quote the king's pleasure is that posts be better appointed and laid in all places most expedient. Okay, so what's the point? The main point is, I think, that it's interesting. Okay, yes. Uh, but also maybe that it is historically unsurprising that the post is being used for political purposes in this way, uh, since it was originally set up to allow monarchs to convey their royal decrees and so on. Um, not to say that at all that I'm convinced now that this was a good idea in today's particular context. Right, yes, because we're meant to have something a little bit different now, a slightly different system about something about representative <laughs> democracy that doesn't involve the postal service at all, right? No, it shouldn't have to. No. I, yes. Anyway, uh, on a more positive closing note, on Twitter I discovered an account for a service called Let's Go Postal, described as your one-stop shop for a postcard protest. Postcards, stamps, pens, addresses, talking points and a corkscrew. I don't get the last bit. And the banner on their Twitter page reads eloquent and enraged. So, send in your surveys. And talking of surveys, do you happen to know what is the exact wording on the marriage equality survey? Something to the effect of, should the law be changed to allow same-sex couples to marry? That's precisely it. I saw some on Facebook, despite the entreaties of the ABS and the Postal Service. You're not meant to post a picture on Facebook. No, although I, I saw someone post it and I was like, oh, and, but I looked it up and the, the key thing that you need to leave out is the individual barcode on yours. So you can have a picture of, of your ticked yes of your box. Tick. Mm. Uh, so what it doesn't say, Helen, is should the law be changed to allow same-sex couples to tie the knot? Nevertheless, that phrase is being used quite a lot in regards to what's happening in Australia right now. When I searched Google News for Australian news articles using the phrase in the past few months, I found there were at least 80. Wow. Does that surprise you? I mean, it is really common. It's well known, but 80 is a lot. It's not quite, it's colloquial, but it's not quite as colloquial as, say, getting hitched, perhaps. That's true. Yeah. So let me just define tie the knot for those of you who don't know it just means to get married so here's an example sentence Ellen DeGeneres and Australia's very own Portia de Rossi tied the knot in California in 2008 because the government and the judiciary of the state of California is not as backwards as Australia's <laughs> that's a nice one did you find that one I made it up but oh, yeah. I think it's a good one <laughs> so uh, how far back does this expression go is it older than going postal well Helen I mean, yes, it's definitely older than going postal, but how far back it goes just depends on which of the several origin stories you believe to be true. And I should mention that there is no consensus on any of these stories and not one of them is supported by a shred of evidence. So I am going to tell you those stories and I'm going to order them from 
the least feasible to the most in my eyes. Okay, I like this. All right. So let's start with the first option. Before slats or springs, apparently mattresses rested on nets of knotted string. To make a marriage bed, you needed to tie the knot. Okay. Now, mm, well, I didn't have time to do detailed research into the history of beds. But even if that is true, it doesn't make any sense because you would have to tie many knots, right? Yeah. And surely, like, as a wedding present, other people would tie all those knots for you. Totally. So I think we can safely strike that one off. Okay. The next one. Next. In Roman times, a bride's girdle which is a belt or a cord that was worn around the waist, was tied in knots on her wedding day. And then the groom had to untie all the knots before he consummated the marriage, which sounds like the right gender roles going on for what was back then, this whole idea of a woman's chastity being preserved and protected until her saviour, suitor, blah, blah, blah. But here's what I think about that. Why, if he's untying all these knots, would we say tie the knot? Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah, that doesn't make actually any sense doesn't logically. Any sense. All right. Yes, there's a logical issue here. Yeah, so we're going to get rid of that one too. Struck it off. Mm-hmm. Next. So there's a Hindi tradition in which the husband and wife will walk around a fire with a knot tied representing their holy bond and vows to each other. And for every step around the fire, they call the fire god to witness their marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't quite think of where, why, or how Hindi marriage culture would have had deep and prolonged contact with English marriage culture before the first recorded usage of tie the knot in English, so I just think that this also seems quite unlikely to me. Hmm, interesting. I think that there is a very long history of um, exchange between those two cultures in those two places and you know, stories and cultural practices and language do come down but like from a shared root. I wouldn't I wouldn't strike this one off the list necessarily. But what were the first usages? Well the first recorded usage that I was able to locate was in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Woohoo Yes. My old fave. Shakespeare, uh, and that was written in 1597, and Capulet, Juliet's father, says, send for the Count, go tell him of this, I'll have this knot knit up tomorrow morning. So it's a slight variation there, but I think we can safely say that that's an instance of the same saying. Mm-hmm, definitely. So that's happening, of course, when Juliet's father is trying to arrange for her to marry Count Paris. Mm-hmm. Yes. Won't say any more, because don't want to give away the ending. No. Uh, not one of the first usages, but I just wanted to have a little shout out to our old mate, Francis Gross, who has come up many times. He's, I know you like him. I love him. Yeah. So here's 1811 Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue, which we have spoken about many times before, listed not tied with the tongue with specific reference to marriage. He has tied a knot with his tongue that he cannot untie with his teeth. That is, he is married. Uh Uh-huh. By saying I do. It's mm. the uh, the speech act it's like a, of getting married. And it's like a, a metaphor on a metaphor. It's like a double whammy. Yeah. It's a legal knot that you got yourself into, mm. but which you did with his tongue. Mm. Hot. Mm. Okay. So it goes way back to as early as the late 16th century in England. That's right. Which is why the story that I'm going to tell you now seems to make the most sense. So, there is a medieval Celtic pagan marriage practice that involves a ceremony called handfasting. 
So in that ceremony, a couple who intended to marry would come together, usually on a traditional feast day, which is just a celebration day, and a ceremony was performed in which they faced each other and a braided cord or ribbon was tied around their hands. Mm-hmm. Now, I've done some video research. It, it's just one hand each. Right, so you just Being, shake hands or whatever and they tie them together? Yeah, it would be a bit impractical if it was both of them. Mm-hmm. So they'd be tied together and a druid priest, which is just a Celtic priest, mm-hmm. Great name because it sounds a bit Star Wars. What, Druid? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably not a coincidence. Yeah. Anyway, so the priest would then declare you married or just engaged for a year and a day, depending on who you believe. Yeah. So, according to Waterlily Weddings in Ireland, which is a celebrant service who also runs hand fasting ceremonies, the hand fasting was actually an engagement, and mm. that engagement would last a year and a day. I hope you didn't have to have your hands bound for that whole year because that would be difficult. And during that year and day, the couple was encouraged to live together and to consummate the relationship, which I think is a very good idea, very wise. You should mm-hmm. always practice. Yeah, both give of it a go. Things. Yeah, before you decide to spend your life with that person. Yeah. yeah. After the year was over, that engaged couple would return to the priest and marry. But if they decided they weren't a good match, then they were just allowed to dissolve their hand fast and choose another suitor and another bride. Great. However, according to the BBC, that's not entirely true. So apparently in the late 18th century, a combination of rumour, misreporting and romanticisation led to the belief that hand fasting had been a trial marriage lasting a year and a day. So apparently that myth spread even more widely because a novel by Sir Walter Scott, who has also come up in this podcast before, Mm -hmm. used the imagery in his novel The Monastery in 1820. Right. There you go. It's a bit of a plot twist. It is. It is. And whether you believe it was an engagement or a marriage, nevertheless, the actual practice of a ceremony of hand fasting did spread across European Christendom, which you can see in a couple of popular culture depictions, including Braveheart. Ah, yes, naturally. You remember the scene? No. No, neither do I, but I found it on YouTube and we'll post it on the show notes. Braveheart, the 1995 movie that uh, told the story of important Scottish figure William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson, as William Wallace, was hand-fasted with his girlfriend, Moron. So we'll put the link to that uh, little video on the show notes. And also, I wanted to show you this video, Helen. I hereby seal these two souls, binding them as one for eternity. So uh, that's from a show that some people might have heard of called Game of Thrones. Mm. I'm not entirely sure what's happening there, who those people are, but Helen, maybe you can tell me. Yep, that's Rob Stark and his bride, Talisa. Oh, yeah. I reckon that's her name. They met at very untimely end. Oh, I, I, from what I understand of that show, basically everyone meets an untimely or an unfortunate end. So they have like a feast later. Oh. And it becomes known as the Red Wedding. Oh, that's them. But this is, I don't remember that bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess the other, the other part. More memorable. Is more memorable. So, in fact, hand fasting persisted in these Anglo-Celtic areas for a long time, up until even the modern day, 
If you do a Google search, you'll see that many celebrants in Ireland and Scotland offer it as part of their ceremonies, as did Water Lily Weddings that I mentioned before mm-hmm. that has a wonderful blog. And in fact, in Scotland, it even constituted a legal marriage right up until 1939. Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It's also a bit amazing that in 1939, they decided to make it not legal anymore. <laughs> I mean... Well, you know what? Colonialism uh, was still alive at that point, right? I think there are examples in even more recent history where governments have made bizarre decisions about things to exclude from marriage acts. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Yes. So, Helen, I would just like to tie this all up with a fact about knots. Oh, cool. Yeah, so if I were to tell you that a knot is the collective noun for an animal, could you guess which animal um, snakes? No. Uh, uh, worms? No. Rats. Rat king. No. No. What? Do you know what a rat king is? No. I- Google it, guys. What's a rat king? I don't want to explain it. It's gross. Okay. Well, if you were to, to be walking in a swamp and came across a group of toads, you would have found a knot of toads. <laughs> That's really funny. True story. They're not, I mean, I suppose they're a bit knotty, as in, like, gnarly and warty and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and they kind of look... You know how you've got, like, the knot a knot on a tree? Mm. They kind of look like that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That's there all. There you go. Thanks for that factoid. Yeah, everyone loves the collective yeah. noun, animal, fact. So I might call uh, the Australian Liberal Party, who has brought this matter to the point of requiring a postal survey rather than just a simple, quick, uh, free-ish uh, vote in the parliament, I might call them a knot of toads. Is that what you're suggesting? I think that that would be appropriate. Right. Okay. So I think you've pretty much tied up all the loose ends with tying the knot, Olivia. That's it for today. Uh, before we finish, I just thought it would be cool to read some of our great reviews from our lovely listeners. We're really grateful for We're those great We're very grateful reviews. for those great reviews from our wonderful listeners. My favourite, I think, so far is from Cableys, who calls The Expressionists a fantastic 20-ish minute journey into the English language with two charismatic word lovers, Olivia and Helen. That's us. Oh, that's us. Their straight man versus lunatic dualism lights the show on fire. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Who's the straight man and who's the lunatic? I don't know. I don't know if I want to be either. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> they close with uh, add this to your podcast diet ASAP which obviously you guys who are listening already have. Do you have any favourites you'd like to share, Olivia? I do. One of my favourites, it's short and sweet, Helen. Uh, Smart as a Whip by Sherry Denial. (laughs) These gals are onto something and I want more. So we will give you more Sherry Denial, but we are taking a short break and we will be back on the 3rd of November. So save the date. And while we're talking about saving the date... It's time to bring in our special guests from the podcast of that very name. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you doing? I am very well. Thank you. What are you guys up to in London? Um, well, it's quite a nice day, actually. It's very sunny which is odd. Uh, so I don't know what we're going to do today. But generally we're just here for just gigs and stuff, really. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, nice. Just work. Boring work. Oh, well, if you're going to do boring work, London's a great place to be doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. So maybe could you introduce yourselves, please? Uh, my name is Reese Nicholson. I'm a comedian and professional homosexual. I'm the same, except my name is Kyron Wheatley. And you guys have a podcast called Save the Date, am I right? Yes. Last time I checked. This feels like the wrong time to say no. Yeah. I feel like we're in far too deep now for, this, for us to go, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. You've called the wrong reason, Kyron. Phew, phew. I'm glad about that. And uh, you guys are also engaged, is that right? Again, this seems too late to say no. Uh, yeah, last uh, time I checked. Yes, we are. Yeah. We've got engaged twice, actually. Once wasn't enough. Hashtag keep getting engaged. We're going full Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> so can I ask, have you guys sent out save the dates for your marriage? Well, not yet because there's I – don't, I don't know if you've been following the news, um, <laughs> but uh, there's been this little, this little hiccup. Uh, so we're not quite sure when that date could be. Uh, which is why we started the podcast, Save the Date, to um, try and ascertain <laughs> when, when we might be able to send out cards like that. Yeah, so I was looking into the history of Save the Dates, as a Save the Date as a phenomenon, these cards, and they're actually, it's quite recent. They weren't really a thing, apparently, before around about the, uh, the early 2000s. Really? Yeah, yeah, true story. In- I thought it totally sounds like something someone in the 60s would do, just really over like well no i i think it does sound like early 2000s yeah it's like it's really self-important it's like here's an invitation to my invitation we're going to send out invitations but we're not ready for the invites so we're sending out an invite for the invite yeah that seems a lot seems a lot let's not send them (laughs) that's what the podcast yeah uh well have you have you guys ever heard of them referred to as stds uh, no, I have gotten a letter in the mail about them before, um, but it was a different thing. Um, uh, and yeah. legally, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Uh, it was save October 23. <laughs> you need to visit your local GP. Um, I wouldn't even say STD anymore, do it? It's more of a phone thing. Um, uh, no, I've never heard them call that. And but it only when we started doing the hashtag for our podcast did we realise how inappropriate yeah. it is. <laughs> we sort of thought though. It could be good once this whole website's over. If we want to continue the podcast, we can just shrink the name down to STD and change the subject entirely. Yeah, <laughs> to just Telstra-based things. No. Well, it's good. It's good to have that flexibility. So, yes, as we all know, there has been that hitch in Australian politics that has meant that you guys haven't been able to send yours out. But I bet you've received a bunch of STDs. I mean, save the dates. Uh, what's <laughs> What's what's the best one you, you guys have ever received? Any any standouts? It's always just a sickly photo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, unless like we've had a couple probably from friends that are funny, but most of the, I think something like something like a save the date makes you realise um, that maybe a friend who you thought wasn't earnest at all is actually very earnest. <laughs> Do you know, like the you think someone's very sarcastic, but then their photo. Their seven date comes and it's them like on a mountain, <laughs> on a beach, kissing. It's because they're sending like, it to drugs. grandma and grandpa. I reckon. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe if we do them, we should send. We should have a couple of categories. Yeah, we can have the grandma and grandpa sort of category of save the date, and then people that can handle hardcore porn. Exactly. You wouldn't want to mix them up though. That would be really bad. 
No, no. You're not wrong, man. Maybe we should be more focused. Maybe we should get a barcode situation out of survey. <laughs> but no, I think they all are. They're all just like photos of people on beaches and us. It's all about us. Yeah. Yeah, well, I did some hunting around for some good save the dates online and I did find a really good one and I'm willing to share the idea with you guys for when we sort this business out here. Uh, So someone had the brainwave to send a little box with a date, you know, like the dried fruit object. Oh, little parcel, little surprise parcel. Isn't that great? Save the date. And then everyone brings the dates and they make some sort of pudding. (laughs) Sticky or otherwise. You want to be careful, though, because too many people eat dates. There's going to be a lot of people at the wedding with the shits. Or is that say, or is, or they just mean save this date? Save this date. This particular date. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us on The Expressionists. Great. No worries. Catch up. See ya. So that's it for us for today and until the 3rd of November. Make sure you stay in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And we look forward to talking idioms with you guys again in a few short weeks. Catch you on the flip side. Bye. with that thing? No. You sure? Because your hand's on it. If anything, I turned it down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I mean, you're looking at the thing. I'm looking at the thing. I think we're all good. If the thing says the right thing, then that's that's a good thing. It does. Okay, are we ready? I think so. I thought you might be able to think of a joke (laughs) about knots and shreds. How would I have a joke about knots and shreds? Come on, just think about it for 20 seconds. All I can think of is like shredding your fingernails trying to undo a knot. I mean, I don't think that's a good joke. There's no joke there. Sorry, I just thought you were right. Okay, I didn't think of one. Oh, I just cracked myself up there. Oh.